In the songbook and CD. Lord have mercy, God help us. These songs. That song, these songs, are in songbooks and CDs that are labeled traditional worship music, or it might just say worship music or worship songs. And that is the CD that we are playing today. And if you don't have a copy of our music CDs and you would like some, just contact me through the website and I would be glad to send these to you for free um, inside the United States. Free inside the United States. And outside the United States, uh, I would have to pay at least $13 in international shipping send these. So if you would contribute that $13 to help me out to send it to you, if you're in another nation, I'd be glad to do that. But inside the United States, I can send it to you for free. And that was song page number two. I need the every hour. And let's go over to page four. Page four. Now on the CD... I might not have the songs in the exact same order because you're not going to be playing a CD at home at the same time we're playing our music because you're not going to, they're going to cancel each other out, just be a bunch of noise. So it won't, it won't make sense for you to play your CD at the same time as, my, as listening to us. So they might not be in the same order in the CD, but they are in the same order in the book. And this is page number four. And if you don't have the book or the CD, this particular song is straight out of the Bible. 
and it is Psalm 23. Everybody knows Psalm 23 by heart, hopefully. And uh, this is Psalm 23, which is on page number four.
Okay, let me pull all my equipment over here next to me. Then we'll go into prayer here in a minute. Give me a minute to finish setting all this stuff up because I'm having a little bit of difficulty moving everything around today because I use a different chair than what I normally used and that chair just doesn't want to slide. This one slides very, very easy. Okay, let's go in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, praise your holy name. Glory unto you, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to join our brothers and our sisters in worship service, giving you glory and praise. We thank you, Father, for an appointed time to worship you all together at the same time. We thank you, Father, for the word which we are about to receive. We ask you, Lord, to help us, please, to receive your word in a way that will help us to truly receive it, understand it, and apply it to our lives. Please open our ears. Please help our attention span. Please help us, Lord, to grow in the measure of your spirit and in wisdom, and not only in knowledge, not only in head knowledge, but in your spirit and in your will. We ask, Lord, your blessing upon this service and upon everything that is said and done to your glory and for the edification of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's turn to the book of John, John chapter 1, John chapter 1, and in case you might be listening for the first time, there always is someone, although sometimes it might be for only a couple minutes or the first of the sermon or the middle or the last of the sermon, but there's always somebody that's coming and going from the room there on TalkShoe website. So if you might be listening right now for the first time, 
we are reading from the Alpha and the Omega Bible, a translation taken from the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Greek Statutian and different codexes and scrolls, uh, the most agent manuscripts that we can obtain to get the translations from. This is a much older translation than the King James Version as far as our sources go. Of course, this was the Alpha and Omega Bible started in 2015, only three years ago. But the sources that we are using are older Bible manuscripts than what was used for the King James Version. And you can find out more information about that at com. Now, today's topic is God is the lake of fire and how that is connected with Hanukkah. And we're going to be, we're going to be observing the fiesta of dedication, which is what the Bible calls it, the fiesta of dedication. But everybody calls it Hanukkah today. And there's a connection with that, with God being the lake of fire. And we're going to be observing Hanukkah starting on January 1st, here in just a couple of weeks. Most people kept it last week, I think, but that is not correct. The way that the world does anything, you know, is mostly almost not at any time correct. We don't follow the world. We don't follow what everybody else does. We learn from the Bible itself and from God's Spirit. Amen. And it doesn't make any sense for them to start the year before the spring equinox. But they did start the year before the spring equinox, which brought them a whole month difference between the true date of Hanukkah and the date that they kept it, false date. Now, first, before we get to the Hanukkah connection, first we have to understand that God is the lake of fire. And I'm going to prove that to you from the Bible. The traditional doctrine is that uh, as soon as you die, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. Your judgment is immediate. Your eternal judgment. And that cannot be changed. You're going to go to heaven forever or you're going to go to hell underneath the ground forever and ever and ever and burn forever and never die. Those are the traditional doctrines of most religions. However, if you read the Bible and believe it rather than believing pastors, men, religions, and denominations, the Bible says over and over and over and over again that when you die, you are asleep. Countless times the Bible teaches this, just over and over and over, over and over and over. It's all throughout the Bible. You are asleep. When you die, you are sleeping. That is very, 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 very clear in the Bible. If you're sleeping, you're not walking around in heaven and you're not screaming in hell, okay? 
That's a huge, huge difference. You cannot be asleep and be doing those things. You are either asleep or you're screaming or you're enjoying heaven, one or the other. You can't have it both ways. And then we, we await the resurrections, and Jesus taught the resurrections both in the Old Testament and New Testament, the Bible teaches us a resurrection from the grave. And how can you be resurrected from the grave if you are already in heaven? And after the resurrections, there is a judgment day coming. And how can God judge you and then sentence you to eternal death or eternal life if you've already been judged? That would be double jeopardy. Amen. But the world, the world, who follows men's religions and women's religions, they will say that you are judged immediately at death and gave in your eternal sentence, which completely erases and ignores every Bible verse that talks about a future day of judgment, a thousand and a hundred years. 1,100 years after Jesus comes back is the great white throne judgment, and that is very clear in Scripture. Is God going to make a mistake? Does God say, well, when you die, I'm going to give you a particular sentence, which is eternal, but 1,100 years later at the great white throne judgment, I'm going to judge you again in case I made a mistake? That doesn't make any sense at all. The traditional doctrines do not make any sense when you compare them to the Bible, and they don't make any sense when you really think about it either. They really don't make any sense. When you really, really, really sincerely examine what you believe, those traditional doctrines like three gods or three-headed God don't make any sense at all. Amen. If you take time to think and to examine what you believe and why. Amen. So let's get started now. God is the liquor farm. Rather than going by traditional doctrine, let's see what the Bible says in John chapter 1. Starting in verse 1, let's read the first five verses. John 1, verse 1, in the Alpha and Omega Bible. Lord of Jesus over this. Yeah. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with Theos, which is not a pagan god. Theos is agent Paleo-Hebrew for God, and it means the Alpha and Omega. That is what Theos means originally. The word Theos was originally applied only to, to the true God. It's a very ancient word that existed before the Greek Empire. So this, this, this theology that you read all across the Internet that Theos is a pagan word is nonsense. Because the word Theos existed before the Greek Empire, okay, and before the Roman Empire. 
and before the Babylonian Empire, and before the Assyrian Empire, and before the Egyptian Empire. It's a very, very ancient word. And it originally was applied only to, to the true creator, and it means the Alpha and Omega. That is what theos means, originally. But over time, after the pharaohs and different men on the earth and women on the earth started claiming to be God, then the word theos was applied to those pagan gods and human kings because they were saying that they were the Alpha. They were saying they was the Alpha and Omega. They are the creator. They are God. That was what the people said. The kings and pharaohs said, I'm God. I'm Theos. And that's how it started to get applied to the pagan gods. But originally it was applied only to the true God. Now, in, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with the true God, Theos, Alpha and Omega. And the Word was Theos. They were the same being, the same soul, the same spirit. Okay? And he was in the beginning with Theos, and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. I would like for you to underline the word light. In him was life, and the life was the light. The life was the light. Don't underline just the word light, but underline that phrase, life, the life. The life was the light. Amen. The life was the light. Life. Life. Living. Living soul. And living spirit was the light of mankind. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, or shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, this Alpha and Omega Bible is a work in progress. And there in verse 5, if your copy says, the light shines as present tense, the light shines. We're going to change that S on the end of the word shines to shined. Past tense, shined. Change the S to a D. And the reason for that is verse 1 through 5 is past tense. Even though God still exists and he is still light and he is still shining and giving life, but the context is talking about at creation and at the beginning. That's the context, verse 1, in the beginning. So it's past tense. All five verses is past tense, even though he still exists, of course. But we are talking past tense in the context of creation, of what occurred in the past, how all things came into being, the creation. 
And this is a, a work in progress, continuing to perfect the translation, because it's extremely, extremely difficult to translate every letter and every word of the entire Bible in only one, two, or three, or four, or five years and get it 100% correct. It's actually impossible to get it 100% correct in only five years because the entire Bible, I tell you, I tell you, you would be shocked. You would be shocked out of your mind if you could sit down with me and look at the agent manuscripts and look at every translation that exists, every translation that exists, and look at the comparisons of how many words have been added and taken away or changed, it would shock you. Really, I mean, it would just, it would blow your mind. So it's very difficult to sort through all that, all that corruption and twisting that has occurred throughout human history and, and get it down packed. 100% perfect. I do not claim that the Alpha and Omega Bible is 100% perfect. I do not claim that. In fact, every sermon, I tell you to correct something. And we'll continue to correct, we'll continue to edit, we'll continue to perfect it until the day that I can no longer do this for whatever reason. It's going to be a lifetime thing. Okay? And we'll try to keep it updated on the internet every week or two. And then once or twice a year, update the paperbacks. And it might be a little expensive to buy brand new Bibles every year, but very worth it. Very, very, very much worth it. If you want the most accurate, if you want the most accurate, how can we put a price tag on the Word of God? Amen. And I'm not making no money from this, believe me. <laughs> I am not making any money. Uh, if you look at our financial report every month, we are out of the pocket usually many, many, many hundreds of dollars, usually over $1,000 every month out of my pocket, over and above all the tides. Over and above all the tides, $1,000 out of, out of my pocket every month just about. But I am not making any money from this, and I don't want to make any money. Now, this light is the Word of God. If we would keep reading, it would explain to us that this light, this Word of God, came and dwelt in the flesh. In the, in the human form, it says so. Amen. So he is God. Jesus is God. And anybody that tries to say Jesus is not God, according to the Bible, it says that he is the Antichrist. He is that person, him, her, whoever. If you say that Jesus is not the Christ, which means that he's God, if you say that he's not the Christ, or if you say that he is not God, you are the Antichrist. Okay? That's Bible. That's not my opinion. That is what the Bible says. Okay? And I don't understand how anybody cannot believe Jesus is not God when he called himself the Alpha, and the Omega. Some people say, oh, that wasn't Jesus saying that. That was the Father saying that. Okay. Talk about twisting. 
talk about twisting. Amen. People love to twist the Bible because they don't want to believe what it says. It's so clear when you read it, it's Jesus talking. Very clear that Jesus is talking and saying that he is the Alpha and the Omega. Anybody that says otherwise is very, very clearly twisting it because they want to twist it, because they don't want to believe the truth. And that's just fact. That's just reality. It is what it is. Amen. So Jesus is the light, and he is the life of man. We cannot live without him. Nobody can live without him. All the creation came into being because of him, and nothing that came into being could come into being without him. He is the creator. He is the father. If you say the father said it, well, you, you just said Jesus said it because he is the father. He said have, have I not been so long with you and you not recognize me or not know me? Ain't that what he said? He said, the disciples said to him, show us the Father. He said, I've been with you this whole time. Wake up. You could just see him grabbing their shoulders or something, you know. Show us the Father. Hello. Not anybody in there. I've been here with you the whole time. That's what Jesus said. People say, Jesus never said, I'm God. Yes, he did. He said it all the time, constantly. Everybody wants it spelled out like they're little babies or something. They just want everything spelled out to them. Amen. Now let's go to chapter 4, John 4. God is the light. Jesus is the light. What we just learned in chapter 1, now we go to chapter 4, look at verse 23, chapter 4, verse 23, verse 23, the hour is coming, the hour is coming, or A-I-R is coming, and now is, it's already here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Amen. Theos is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. It's not enough to just worship him only in truth, only in head knowledge or in facts or in doctrine. That's not enough. Let me say that again. It's not enough to worship God only in doctrine, head knowledge, truth, facts. Because we also must worship him in spirit, not just in truth. We must worship him in spirit, which means that this goes beyond books, paper, letters, ink, pen. This goes beyond just reading the Bible, going to church. This is a spiritual thing. This is a spiritual relationship with him. And we have to grow in the measure of his spirit. And we have to actively worship him. It's not enough to just say that you got saved 100 years ago, 10 years ago, or six months ago. 
That's not enough because you have to continue to actively worship. He's seeking worshipers. To say, well, I did worship God six months ago. I did worship God ten years ago when I said that one prayer or I got baptized. That's not enough. Amen. He wants a long-term relationship. What if you married your husband or your wife and then you just went your own separate ways and did not even move in with each other? That would be crazy one. But that's the way people do God all the time. They say, well, I... I, I, I want to know you, I want to love you, I want you to save me, forgive me of my sins. Okay, it's done, bye-bye. And yet that's what the Baptist church teaches, that you can lay your bed with your husband or your wife in, in Christ Jesus, who is our bridegroom and we are his bride, lay that bed one day with one prayer, and then next day walk out and divorce God and leave God, never pray again, never go to church again, never do anything, never get baptized, never keep the commandments, but you're saved. That's what the Baptist church teaches. Why would you want to go to such a, such a church that teaches that? Why would you want to go to such a church? Amen. Now, you must worship him in spirit mean grow in the measure of his spirit inside you, and also meaning that you need to verbalize and feel his presence and talk with him and have that relationship with him. It has to be in your heart, in your soul, not just in your head knowledge, not just a, not just a mere belief that he is real, but a heartfelt relationship, true love. That's what God has always been looking for. That's why he created angels and humans and animals. That's why he created living beings is because he wanted love. Amen. It's all about love. The entire Bible is one big love story. He is looking for love. Amen. That spirit, worshiping, worshiping him in spirit, includes exercising our spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues if he was to give you that gift, prophecy if he give you that gift, and other gifts of the spirit. So that, there's a very accomplishing there. We could do a whole sermon just on what it means to worship God in spirit. Very, very, very... Uh, widespread information within that. And then there's truth. It's not enough to just be a Pentecostal. It's not enough to just know how to jump up and down and shout and worship in spirit, speak in tongues, speak prophecy, have visions, have dreams. That's not enough, just the spirit. Because if you have the spirit and you exercise the spirit and you worship him in spirit but don't have truth, you don't keep the commandments, then it's all in vain and it's just emotion. Amen. So you have both, both truth and spirit. And he is seeking a people. Why is he seeking a people to worship him in this way, spirit and truth? If it was true that the whole world was already doing this, he wouldn't have to seek anyone. 
Amen. If it was true that the whole world, that how many billions of so-called Christians on this earth, how many billions of people say that they're saved? Billions. Billions of people on this planet that are Catholics that say that they are saved, that say that they are true Christians. If they were, then why would God be searching for somebody to worship him in truth and in spirit? Amen. He has to search for somebody. I tell you, it's hard to find. Very, 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 very hard to find. But what I want to focus on now is he is spirit. Verse 24. Theos is spirit. He is not flesh and blood, even though chapter 1 says that he came and dwelt, or he came and tabernacled in the flesh. We didn't read that while ago, but if we had kept reading chapter 1, we would have read that. But you should already know that, since you have already read all of chapter 1. I know you have. Surely. Come on. Surely you've read all chapter 1, and it says at some time in your life, and surely you know, you remember it says that he came and dwelt in the flesh. Amen. But yet he is spirit. He is spirit. Amen. He dwelt in the flesh, but he is spirit. Amen. So, two things so far. God is light. God is spirit. Now, if I turn on a light switch, and the darkness flees, and, and the room is filled with light, you can't touch it. You can't feel it. You can't smell it. But it's there. Amen. You can see it. And it fills the room. That's what God is, is he is light. And he fills the room. He's not six foot tall. And we have got to get rid of this thinking. When you think of God, when you think of him as a six foot tall man or a seven foot tall man on a throne in heaven, millions of miles away, that is totally inaccurate. Totally inaccurate. You've got to get rid of that carnal way of thinking. Because we need to worship him in spirit. We need to be spiritually thinking. Amen. We need to see things with the eyes of God. Symbolically speaking. We need to start thinking of God as a light. The Bible says he is light. God is spirit. So he is not confined to an area of only six foot tall by two feet, two feet wide or whatever. He's not confined to that little tiny area. Stop limiting God. Stop limiting God in your imagination. Amen. He fills the universe. The Bible says the earth is his footstool. The earth is his footstool. He is so big that he can be climbing back in the universe and put his feet up on the earth. That is how huge he is. That's only a, a picture of helping us to realize how huge he is, but he's actually even more huge than that. 
the reality is he could put his feet up on the Milky Way galaxy as a footstool and not just the Earth. Because he doesn't exist only in our galaxy, but in every galaxy, in every solar system, in the entire universe. He exists on the moon. God is on Jupiter. He's on Mars. He's on Pluto. He's on every moon of every planet. He is everywhere. The Bible says that he is even in the grave, and you cannot hide from him even in the grave. He's even in the dirt. It's everywhere. You cannot escape the presence of God. Amen. He's huge, and he's without limit. God is without limit. Amen. He is light. Now think about the light of the sun. How the light of the sun, the sun is millions of miles away from the earth, millions upon millions of miles away from the earth. And it is so bright and so big that the light from that sun, even though it is millions and millions and millions of miles away from the earth, it is so big and so bright that we actually receive light right here on earth. So bright that we can actually get a tan from it. That's how bright the sun is. And yet the sun also shines on the next planet away from the sun and the next planet and the next planet away from the sun. The sun is pretty bright, pretty powerful. But the sun is not God. And God is even more powerful and more bright and hotter than the sun itself. That's pretty amazing. Pretty awesome. Man, God is awesome. God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And every star is a sun. Believe it or not, every star is a sun, and they're just as big as our sun, but they're farther away from us, and so they look smaller. But when you look in the sky at night and you look at every one of those stars, they are, some of them, most of them, the same size or even more large than our sun. But they are so much farther away, so much more far away than what our sun is. Our sun is a star. Our sun is a star. And those stars are suns too. But we're so, even though we're millions of miles away from the sun, we're close enough to where it looks the size it does. That because we were even farther away from the other stars, they look small. Okay? And yet they still shine their light. They even still shine their light. And God created every one of those suns, every one of those stars, and every one of the planets and solar systems and galaxies. So if God can create a million suns, which he did, perhaps billions of suns, think of how huge God must be. Think of how powerful he is. That is so mind-blowing how powerful and huge God is because he can create every one of those suns, millions and millions and millions of suns that he did create. 
stop thinking him of him as three men who are six foot tall, each one. Stop thinking of him as one six foot man and another six foot tall man and another six foot man. That's not what God is. God is not flesh. He is spirit. He came and dwelt in the flesh, but he is spirit. And he is, he is light. And light exists throughout the universe. God exists throughout the universe. Amen. Think of the burning bush. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai and saw the burning bush in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, God saw, I mean, Moses saw God. He did. And what was, how did he appear to Moses? He appeared not just as a bush, but a burning bush. And now the bush itself was not God. That bush was not God. That bush was already there. So it wasn't the burning bush that was God, but it was the fire that was on that bush. Amen? Amen. The fire that was on that bush was God. God is the lake of fire. Amen. Let's go to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, which is in the Old Testament, in the book of Law. If you have the Alpha and Omega Bible, that is in five volumes. Some people might have a three-volume edition. But I do recommend people have the five-volume edition. Either way, whether you have the three-volume or the five, you still got all these books. And this is, let's go to the book of Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Praise Jesus. Good to see Brother Russell with us today and Sister Kiki and other people, hopefully Brother Mark and other ones joining us, and perhaps Sister Jen. Good to have everybody listening today. And the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, let's look at verse 24. Deuteronomy 4, verse 24. And in my copy, is volume number one, page 188. Your copy might be a page or two difference. Deuteronomy 4, verse 24, For Jesus, your Theos, is a consuming fire, a jealous Theos. Amen. He is a consuming fire. Now, even though when Moses saw God as far on the bush, it did not consume the bush. The Bible says the bush was not consumed. But yet this verse says he's a consuming fire. Which one is true? They're both true. Amen. The Bible really does not contradict itself. But we have to understand that because God is huge, and God cannot even fit, even the Bible says, God cannot fit in just one building or one temple or even in, 
upon the earth, God cannot fit his God cannot fit his entire existence, his entire being, his entire body just upon the earth because he is so big that he fills the entire universe. So he can't fit just within one planet as far as his entirety. And because of that, he chooses to manifest himself in ways that we can understand, ways that won't kill us, because here we're, we're in the flesh right here and now. We've got flesh and blood, bones, and our eyes are weak, our bodies are weak, our minds are weak. And if he was to appear to us right now in the fullness of his glory, it would kill us. Our bodies are weak, and we cannot exist in the flesh in the full presence of him. That's why the Bible says more than once that, that nobody has really seen the fullness of God because if you were to see the fullness of God, it would kill you. And flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom. Think about the sun. The sun is much smaller than God himself. Even though the sun is huge, how many earths can fit inside the sun? I forget how many hundreds. I think it's, is it 60 something or 100 something or hundreds? I forget. But there's quite a few number of earths can fit inside the sun. The sun is huge. And yet, God created that, and he created millions of suns. But if you get so close to the sun, if you get close, 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 if you was, say, if you was in a, a rocket, a spaceship, and you were flying toward the sun, once you got so close to it, that spaceship would melt, and you would consume, even before you got into the center of the sun. It is so hot. So the sun itself is also a consuming fire. Amen. The sun is a consuming fire. And the flame on your candles, when you light a candle, those flames, that is a consuming fire. Fire does consume. Amen. Fire consumes. But he chooses to manifest in a way that won't kill us. So when God manifests himself as far on the bush on Mount Sinai, he was doing it in a way that would not kill Moses. And for whatever reason, he also did not want to kill that particular bush, but just appear to Moses. I believe there is some symbolism there as well that we can talk about sometime in another sermon about the living tree and how Jesus is also the tree of life. He is the tree of life. The Bible teaches that. The Bible is the tree of life. So it was a coexistence of the tree of life and his fire being one and the same. Symbolism there. And that's why God did not consume the bush. He chose to not consume the bush. 
He is a consuming fire, but he chose at that moment to not consume the bush in order to give a symbolism of a living tree of life within the fire. Amen. Nevertheless, he is a consuming fire. And this verse here, Deuteronomy, is also quoted in the book of Hebrews. We're not going to turn there right now. But if you want to put a little note in your Bible next to verse 24, you can if you want to. That, that verse is quoted in Hebrews 12, verse 29. Hebrews 12, verse 29. Now let's go to the book of Revelation in the New Testament. Revelation 19, almost the last page, almost the last page of the New Testament. Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 12, we see Jesus. John is describing Jesus. And it says in Revelation 19, verse 12, talking about Jesus, it says his eyes are a flame of fire. Just imagine looking at Jesus and his eyes are fire. So many different, many different verses of the Bible. This is just a few. There, there, there's more. But here's just a few verses that explain and hint to you that, that God is fire. And he is, he's not. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to worship the fire on your candles. That would be wrong. That would be wrong to worship the fire on your candles. Okay? Don't do that. But he is a, a fire, a light, an energy, a spirit that exists throughout the universe. Now, I'm going to explain this more. But before I explain God's presence more, I first now want to transition to explaining about you and me, how we also are lights to this world and in this world in more ways than one, more ways than what you think. Now, we are not God. I'm not saying that. But we are lights, and the Bible says so. Let's turn to the book of Matthew, and then we're going to, we're going to read uh, just three or so, three or four places in the Bible. Matthew 5. We'll read three or four places in the Bible that talks about us, and then we'll connect all of this, and then we'll connect it with Hanukkah as well. So please bear with me so that you can get the full message and the full edification. Matthew 5, verse 14. Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he's also talking to us. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, 
nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we also are lights. God is light, and we are lights. But yet, we dwell in the flesh. So how is this possible? Now, notice how it doesn't just say that you uh, have a light. He doesn't just say you have a light inside you. He doesn't say it that way. But rather, he says you are the light to the world. You are light, okay? We have to understand that we are the children of God. We are the children of God. When a chicken has a baby chicken, the new chicken is also a chicken. <laughs> Amen. If, and a pig gives birth to a pig. A cat gives birth to a cat. A dog gives birth to a dog. A horse gives birth to a horse. And the light, who God is, also gives birth to lights. And God is spirit, and he gave birth to spirits. God is light. We are light. He is spirit. We are spirits. We are his children. But we dwell in this flesh. But when you touch your hands and feet and your body, that is not you. That is your wrapping. That is your container, your vessel, your body, your temple, your house that you dwell in. That's not you, though. You are not what you see with your carnal eyes. You are a light, a spirit, a child of God on the inside of that physical body. Your physical body or not is not who you are. But it's what you're in. Amen. In fact, on an MRI, MRI or CAT scan, one or the other, or both, of a brain shows an empty, hollow spot in the middle of your brain where your soul dwells. This is scientific evidence. Your, your brain is flesh, but there's a hole with nothing in it. Looks invisible. Looks like nothing's there in the middle of your brain. It's just little tiny, but it's there. And even though you can't see what is there, it's like you cannot see the air, the oxygen. Something's there. Amen. You're so in the middle of your brain, which emits an energy throughout the rest of your body and keeps your entire body alive. And when your soul leaves, then so does life. Light 
Amen. This is why grain did is so significant. The person who is grain dead is dead. Their heart might still be beating. But if they are brain dead, they are dead. I've been there. Seen it with my own eyes, how all that happens. We are lights, we are spirits. Let's turn to the book of John again, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Verse 34. John 10, verse 34. John 10, verse 34 says, Jesus answered them and said, Has it not been written in your law I said, you are spirit kings or spirit rulers. Now, most translations says, I said you are gods, or I, yeah, you are gods. In Greek, it says you are theos. I'm not teaching that you are God. And Jesus was not teaching you are God. But Theos was originally applied to God only, but again, it got transitioned, changed into meaning pagan gods and false gods and pharaohs and kings. But in another sense, it also means spirit. And when Jesus said, it's written in the law that you are Theos, of course that doesn't mean you are the Father. Of course it doesn't mean that you are the Creator. That would be insane. Amen. So it has to take the next meaning. When you look at Hebrew words and the Greek words, they have multiple meanings. Just like in English, some of the words has multiple meanings. A cat can be a lion or a house cat. And many different, many different things, many different examples that we could think of better than that example. But that different words have multiple meanings. And in the Hebrew and Greek, even more so. We know he's not saying you are the father or you are the creator. And we also know he's not saying that you're pagan gods either. So it has to go to the next, the third meaning, which is spirit. And that's why an Alpha and Omega Bible is translated as spirit kings or spirit rulers. Because that's the only possibility of what he could be saying. And he is quoting from the book of Psalm, chapter 82. It says, though, it says that in the footnote there, quoting from Psalm 82, verse 6. 
We are spirits. God is spirit. We are spirits. God is light. We are lights. We are not God, but we are his children. Amen. Now let's go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Now you see why the Alpha and Omega Bible is such a better translation? Because if you look at any other translation, it says you are gods. Now we are not gods. We are spirits. This, that's one of a million reasons why this is such a better translation. Let's go to Romans 8. Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, and this is my favorite chapter of the entire Bible. It is so full of gigantic, awesome information from God. It is so powerful. Romans 8 is the atomic weapon of Scripture. It is so powerful. Romans 8, let's look at verse 5 through 11. 5 through 11. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, thinking that they are their bodies, thinking physically, wanting to wear makeup or trying to be beautiful or uh, trying to dress fancy or having a fancy purse and always wanting the best and always wanting the stainless steel appliances and cannot tolerate the old-fashioned white stove and white refrigerator or a green stove and a green refrigerator uh, or whatever. Come on now. Stop being so carnal. Stop having to absolutely require the best and, and, and change the countertops just because, I mean, come on now. I love watching home and garden television, as I have said over and over and over and over because it gives me some enlightenment about the carnality, the mind frame of these people. But they have their minds on the things of the flesh, carnal thinking. And then it says, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, meaning those who are Walking according to the Spirit, we have our minds on the things of the Spirit. The rest of the world has their minds on the latest fashion, the latest style. Uh, everybody's wearing black because everybody else wears black. Monkey see, monkey do. They wear this, I got to wear this. They buy this, I got to buy this. They have a flat-screen TV, so I have to have a flat-screen TV. They paint their hair red, I paint my hair red. All that foolishness. They have black socks, I got to have black socks. That is walking according to the flesh. That is sinful behavior. 
And I'm telling you that God is very disturbed, and I'm very disturbed, that everybody is wearing black and nothing but black. I'm learning sign language now, and every time I look up a sign language word in video on the Internet, on every video, on every website, everybody, just about everybody, is wearing black. It's insane. And they're doing it because it is the cool thing to do. They got to do it. I got to do it. I have to follow what the whole world is doing to be accepted, to fit in with the world. But God called us to come out of the world and to be separate and to be different. They walk in the darkness. That's why they dress in black. They walk in darkness and death and destruction. It is a spirit. It is a demon that is causing those people to all dress in black, the black socks, the black shirt, the black everything. Hey, there's nothing nothing wrong with wearing black. Sometimes in the wintertime, I might wear a black coat sometimes. Or black shoes sometimes. You can wear black. But when you're doing that, just because everybody else is doing that, then that's wrong. And it's a sin. Or if that's the only color you wear, then that is wrong and a sin. Or even if black is the majority of your clothes, that is wrong and a sin. Because there is a spirit, a demon, behind it. Now, all the angels, both good and bad, are spirits. And God is spirit. And we are spirit. And animals also have a spirit. They have a soul. Animals have souls. Does the Bible say that? No, I don't think so. Actually, it does because the book of Ecclesiastes says that both the animal, the beast, and the human, that both of them, the breath goes upwards, and both of them, their fate is the same, that there's no difference between beast and human. So the Bible does teach that they have a soul. If their fate is the same, and if their breath goes to the same place we do, and they go to the same place we do, then of course they got a soul. How can you live without a soul? How can a dog bark without a soul? That's ridiculous to think that they don't have a soul. How can they bark? How can they walk without a soul? They've got to have a soul if they're going to move. Amen. You are not your flesh, and they are not their flesh. Amen. Let's keep reading here. Verse 6, for the mindset on the flesh is death, and the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward fields, toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of fields, for it's not even able to do so. I'd like for you to underline where it says, For it does not subject itself to the law of theos, 
and underlying because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward field. So pretty much underlying the entire sentence because that entire sentence is mind-blowing because it's teaching completely opposite of the Baptist church, the Catholic church, the Lutheran church, the Methodist church, the Presbyterian church, the Episcopal church, and all these other churches because all those churches in the Pentecostal church and, 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 and the Seventh-day Adventist church and the Jehovah Witness church, they all say the law is gone. The law is deleted. You do not have to subject yourself to the law of Theos. You do not have to subject yourself to the law of Theos. It's gone. It's deleted. What does the Bible say about that in this verse? The people who do not subject themselves to the law of Theos is that the people who are spiritual, spiritually minded? Or is that the people who are carnally, fleshly minded, who are opposing the others? Which is it? This verse here is the atomic weapon verse. It is the, the, the sword of the word of God that you need to pull out that sword and use it against people that would tell you that the Bible says you can sin against God, that you don't have to obey God's commandments. You don't have to obey the law of God. There's no such thing as the law of God anymore. You can just do anything you want to do and still go to heaven. I heard a Baptist preacher one time say he could go out and kill people and still go to heaven. There's nothing that could prevent him from going to heaven because once you say that one prayer, you're saved forever. You could be a, a killer and kill people and not even repent of it and go to heaven. That is what they are teaching in these Baptist churches. I heard it with my own ears. Why would you want to go to a church like that? Why would you even want to read the same Bible they read? Amen. mindset on the flesh is hostile toward theos, for it does not subject itself to the law of theos, and neither can it. The reason it can't is because they don't have the Spirit of God. Amen. Verse 8, and those who are in the flesh cannot please theos. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, indeed, if truly, if, 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 if you're truly saved, if truly, if indeed the spirit of Theos dwells in you. If the spirit of Theos, the spirit of God, if God really is in you, if you are truly saved, then you're not in the flesh anymore, but in the spirit. Hey, you still got a flesh. You still got a flesh. You still got a body. But God is truly in you. Day by day by day, that flesh will become less and less apparent to you, less on your mind, less important. And the spirit the spiritual things will start taking more and more take forefront importance and priority 
the things of the Spirit, getting Bibles to people that don't have Bibles, feeding the poor, helping the needy, helping people, evangelizing the truth, getting the truth out there, witnessing to people, planting the seeds, helping people to find the truth, pointing the truth out to people, speaking against evil, speaking up for righteousness and against evil, even in the face or the threat of death. It doesn't really matter whether our flesh lives or dies. It doesn't really matter whether our flesh lives or dies. Jesus himself said, fear not those who could kill only the body, but not the soul. But fear him, him, God, who is able to destroy both the soul and the body. And yet all the churches say that that's impossible. All the churches say, most of them, almost everyone, says that your soul will never be destroyed, your soul will never die. Your soul will not perish. Your soul will not die because you are immortal. Baptist, Pentecostal, all the big list, the big list I've gone over several times so far, all these different churches say you are immortal and your soul will never die ever, ever, ever. Whether you go to heaven or hell, you are immortal, you will never die. That's what the traditional doctrine is. And yet the Bible says more than once, that you are mortal. It says it more than once. You are mortal. And it says that only, only Jesus is immortal. Only Jesus is immortal. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that this mortal, this mortal must put on immortality. This corruptible must put on incorruptible. So we must be changed. And the Bible says that we're being changed daily. Paul said something like that he, that he must become less so that Christ may become more. And that is true for all of us that we must shed our skin. We must come out of this flesh. And if we do want to live forever in eternity and not die in the lake of fire, then we must shed the flesh and be spiritual creatures. We must be spirit. We are spirit. But we have to break out of the bondage of this flesh. In fact, Romans 8 right here says, let's find this verse here somewhere in Romans 8 about us, our future. Verse 18. Verse 18, Romans 8, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation, the whole universe, waits eagerly for the revealing or the revelation or the manifestation 
of the sons of Theos. Amen. That word revealing has multiple meanings, and I'm going to be changing it to the manifestation. That would be more correct there. Waits equally for the manifestation of the sons of Theos. We don't have to be revealed. <laughs> it's manifestation. Manifestation, when we are manifested into the spirit without the flesh. The creation, these planets, the solar systems, the stars are waiting eagerly for us to be manifested without the flesh. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to vanity, not willingly, but because of him, the devil who subjected it, the creation, in hope, in hope that he would overthrow it and overthrow Theos. Verse 21, however, the creation itself also will be set free from its bondage to corruption into the liberty of the glory of the children of Theos. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together even until now. Verse 23, and not only this, but we also, we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption or the release of our body. So in other words, God did not create all of those suns and all those planets and all those solar systems in vain or just for beauty or just for looking at or just for a timepiece but rather also he created all those solar systems and stars and planets to be our inheritance. Be our inheritance. Stop limiting yourself. For the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us and in us. God is going to give us those solar systems, those planets, if we make it in to the fullness of the kingdom. So parents usually try to leave their house to their children. Parents will leave a will, say, when I die, I want the house to go to this child, and I want the car to go to the other child, and I want this to go to that child, and I want this to go to that child. Well, Jesus has a will that when we shed this flesh, that we will inherit the kingdom. And the kingdom is not just earth. The kingdom is every planet, every sun, every solar system. And to some people, he would give only one town or one house or one mansion or one acre. Whereas other people, he would give a hundred acres or a state or a nation or a planet or a solar system or a galaxy in his kingdom. It says that we shall be kings and priests and reign with him. So we're going to reign with God, under God, in his kingdom. We should be kings and priests. We are kings. We are spirit kings. 
We are God's children, and we inherit everything that he created. The reason he created those things was not in vain. Why would he create a solar system, a sun, and a planet that is millions and millions and millions and millions of miles away from here and then just leave that land unoccupied forever? Why would he do that? That would be insane. That would be stupid. I mean, why would God create? He doesn't do anything in vain. Amen? Those planets and solar systems, they are our rewards. Those planets, they are our rewards. And he, re he will reward some people a town, a city, or a nation, or a planet, or a solar system, or a galaxy. So when you look up at the stars tonight, you can wonder, which one is mine? Which one is my star? Reach for the stars and go where no man has gone before. God did not create those things just for decoration. Amen. You are not your flesh. You are spirit children of God. Amen. Now, let's apply this to Hanukkah that we're going to be observing here in a couple of weeks. Let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. This is pretty awesome stuff, ain't it? Wow. Praise the Lord. God's plan is so much more beautiful and so much more all-encompassing and more awesome than any of man's religions and man's churches will admit to you. They, they want to limit God and they want to limit you. The devil does not want you to know your future. Amen. But the Bible reveals our future. Amen. The Bible reveals our future and the mysteries of God. The Bible, the Holy Scripture, reveals the mystery, the deep things of God, the deep things and the mysteries of God. He wants you to understand the mysteries of God. But we have to get out of this carnal, limited, small little world of ours and our, our worldly thinking we have to stop thinking so small. We have to stop thinking so carnally and physically and, and, and think bigger. Uh, God's kingdom, God's kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom shall come. Be preached in all the world to all nations, and then shall the end come. And his kingdom is not just the United States. His, his kingdom is not just a church of a little denomination or a huge denomination, but rather his kingdom is a kingdom that will conquer all other kingdoms, all nations, and all planets. And the entire universe is his. And everything he created is his. Amen. Revelation chapter 1, go to verse 11. 
Revelation 1, verse 11. Verse 11. Then Jesus said to John, Write in a scroll what you see, and send to the seven congregations of called out ones, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pagama, and to Thyraria, however you pronounce that, and to Cyrus, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. These were seven towns in what today is the nation of Turkey today. But it was not known as Turkey back then. But these were seven towns, and one of the towns was named Philadelphia. But it was not the same town of Philadelphia that we have in the United States. This was all in the Middle East. John, I mean Jesus, tells John to write down what he sees in the vision and to send it as letters to these seven towns, to the saints, to the churches, the congregations, the true, the true church, the true followers of Jesus in these seven towns. Now, even though he says to write to these churches in these seven towns, we also know that it's for us as well in one sense. In one sense, we can get edification from these things. But primarily, chapter, the rest of chapter 1 and 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches, is to the people that lived 2,000 years ago in those particular towns. Notice how each letter to each of the seven churches is specifically to just those people. When you read the letter to the church of Ephesus, that is only to the Ephesians. When you read the letter to the church of Sparta, it's only to that, to that town, only to those people. The letter to Smyrna did not apply also to Ephesus, and the letter to Ephesus did not apply to Smyrna, and the letter to Philadelphia did not apply to the Ephesians or to the Smyrna or to Laodicea, and, 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 and so on and so on. So when these people in these false churches today, when they look, when they show you chapter 2, Revelation 2 or Revelation 3, and they use those verses to try to prove that you're going to be raptured out before the tribulation. They do that all the time. Every person that you meet who believes in the pre-trib fairy tale, they will go to Revelation 2 and Revelation 3 to try to prove that you are going to be raptured out before the Assyrian Antichrist starts beheading people. And yet he's already doing that, and it's already happening, and it's too late to be raptured. People, all, people are already being beheaded in Syria for refusing to say that Assad is God above all gods, even above Allah. It's happening already. Too late for the rapture. Too late. But when people point to Revelation 2 and 3, to try to prove the pre-trib rapture, all you got to do is point out to them the very simple fact. Jesus said to John, 
write these letters to these seven towns. Hello, do you live in Philadelphia? Do you, do you live, is anybody listening today live actually in the town of Philadelphia? No one. Do you live in the town of Ephesus? No, nobody here lives in the town of Ephesus. So tell this person, stop taking the verses out of context. I don't live in Philadelphia. I don't live in Ephesus. In fact, I guess probably most of these towns don't even exist anymore. These were towns 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, in Turkey. Go to Turkey and tell them. Go to the, go to the nation of Turkey and say, you're going to be raptured out. You know what's going to happen? They're going to laugh in your face. Because the people in Turkey, they know. We're going to be living in the tribulation. It's really, really only Americans and uh, other people that come from uh, those tribes of Israel, the tribes of the British tribes, the British Commonwealth, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, America. It's really only the English-speaking people that believe in a pre-trib rapture for the most part. There might be some Koreans and some Chinese and stuff like that that believe in the pre-trib only because they learned it from an English-speaking people. And the reason why it's mostly only the English-speaking people that believe in pre-trib is because we're spoiled. And we can go to Walmart and we can buy $100, $200, a lot of I can't, I can't, but... But most Americans can go to the store and buy $100, $200 worth of groceries at one time. They're spoiled. They're spoiled rotten. And they have no context of really real, real, real suffering. Real suffering. Americans and Western people, Western mind frame people, Australia and Western Europe and Americans have no, con, no concept of real suffering or real persecution or giving your life for what you believe. But people in Turkey, they know real suffering and they know real persecution and they know about dying for your faith. So you go to Turkey and try to use Revelation 2 and try to use Revelation 2 or Revelation 3 to try to prove pre-trib, they'll laugh you, they'll laugh you out of town, and they should, because they know real suffering and they know real faith about needing to give up this flesh and needing to be willing to die what you believe and, and they might not even believe the truth over there but they know what it means to be willing to give your life for what you believe and living in this flesh is not the most important thing you don't have to get a heart transplant you don't have to get a heart transplant and get somebody else's heart put inside your body to keep living because number one that's nasty that is sickening and nasty 
to take somebody's heart out of their body, living or dead. Hopefully they're dead if you're going to take the heart out of their body. <laughs> but that's nasty to take a heart out of a dead person and put that heart, yuck, yuck, don't touch me. That's nasty. That's, that's so nasty. And it's nasty to take somebody else's blood. A blood transfusion is gross. It is nasty. Keep it away from me. Let me die. Let me die. Don't take that blood and put it in my veins. That is nasty. Number one, it's nasty. And number two, we have no right to do that. We are not God. And number three, it don't matter whether we live or we die. I am not this flesh. Let me escape. Let me break free from this flesh of bondage. Amen. Let's get real. Amen. Let's get back to the scripture here. Revelation 1, verse 12. And I, John, I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. What he actually saw was probably a menorah, not really seven different lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one as, it says like, but we need to change that to as, one as a or the son of mankind, mankind. In the middle of the lampstands, one as a or the son of mankind clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. Now, again, now let's keep reading, then I'm going, no, I'm going to go ahead, before I lose my thought, I'll go ahead and explain this. Now, we'll, we'll keep reading, but you've got to understand that this whole picture that John sees of God, what color his hair is and his clothes and all this, remember the burning bush situation. God is not six foot tall or seven or eight or nine or ten foot tall. So when John sees Jesus in this vision, Jesus is choosing to manifest himself in a way that John and you and I, that we can all relate to, so it doesn't scare us or kill us or give us a heart attack, okay? Because if we really saw the photos of God, we would die if we're still in the flesh, okay? So he's choosing to manifest or choosing to appear to us and to John in a way that we can comprehend, in a way that we can relate to, and a way that won't kill us. Okay? So, does God really wear clothes? Not really. Because if he can't fit in a temple, and if he cannot fit in a building or he cannot even fit on the planet Earth. He is so huge that he can't even fit on Earth. How is he going to fit in a shirt or a pair of pants or a robe? 
Come on now. He only appears this way only so that we can relate to him. Verse 14, his head and his hair were white like wool. A lot of people say, well, he must be a black man if he has hair like wool because most people think of a black person having woolly hair. But it doesn't say that his hair is wool. Nope, does not say that. It does not say his hair was wool. But rather, rather, it says his hair was white like wool. So it's not saying what his hair is made out of or what the texture is, but rather only the color, white like wool. So what is wool? Ain't that uh, sheep hair? Amen, sheep hair. So when you think of a sheep, you think pretty much mostly, I think, of a white sheep. That's the color of most sheep. There might be some black ones out there or brown ones. I don't know, I guess. But most of the time, when I think of a sheep, I think of a white sheep. So his hair is white, like sheep hair. It's not saying his hair is sheep. Hello? Hello? Anybody there? It's not saying his hair really is wool. It's not saying his hair is a black man's hair. Uh, he's not white. He's not black. He's not red. He's not yellow. He's not brand. He's not flesh. God does not have skin. God does not have hair. He don't have hair. He is spirit. He is not flesh and blood. But he is appearing to John as if in the appearance of having white hair, just like sheep also have white hair. In no way does this teach that he's a black man. He's not black or white or anything. He's spirit. And like snow. Again, if you underline the word like snow and like white wool, both phrases are trying to express the color that John saw, not the texture. And his eyes were as, it should say, not like, but as a flame of fire. His eyes, we read, I think, somewhere maybe a while ago also, that his eyes are a flame of fire. So God is the lake of fire, and he is spirit, not flesh and blood. And his presence is brighter than our sun, and his presence is the light of man. We have a light, a soul inside of us. Your soul is light. You are lights. You are lights. You don't just emit a light symbolically, but rather you are lights. You are souls. The same is the same. They're both almost the same or pretty much the same when we're talking about humans. Might not be the same when we're talking about a light bulb, but it is the same when we're talking about living, breathing, humans, animals, angels, and God. And let's jump down to verse 20. 
Verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, which is just a vision that he sees, John sees seven stars in the right hand of God. Again, how huge is God? He can hold seven stars in one hand. In fact, if he wanted to, he could hold a billion stars in one hand. He could if he chose to. But in this vision, he chose to appear to John as holding seven stars or seven suns in one hand. Wow. Wow. Amen. And this is only a symbol for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands or the seven flames on the menorah. The seven stars are, this is what it represents, this is the symbolism, the seven stars are the pastors, the messengers or pastors of the seven congregations which were in Turkey. Those seven pastors in Turkey 2,000 years ago. So John sees a vision, and when you have a prophetic dream or a prophetic vision, many times, many times there will be symbolisms. So these seven stars was a symbol for the seven pastors of those seven towns. And the seven lampstands, or rather the seven flames on the menorah, are the seven churches, the seven congregations in those towns 2,000 years ago. Then it gives the letter to each pastor of each church, which would have been read by the pastor and then probably passed on to the church and read to the church on the seventh day or holy day. And then eventually put all together into the book of Revelation. Now, what we need to learn from this is these pastors who are humans, who are saved men, they are represented by light. And not only the pastors, but the churches themselves, the congregations are represented by light. Whether you're thinking about the menorah or whether you're thinking about the stars, both of them are forms of light. So you and I, even though this was written to people 2,000 years ago, the same is true for us, that we are congregations and pastors and churches and congregations of God. The same is true for us today, that we are lights. Amen. Now, applying this to Hanukkah, when you burn your menorah or you burn seven candles or whatever, Those seven flames will represent two or three different things. And one of the things those seven flames during Hanukkah will represent is that you are a light to the world. And you should put some lights, seven lights, in your window so that not only can you see it, but the world can see your light. Jesus said, do not hide your light. At Hanukkah, 
we need to let our neighbors and the world know that we are lights to the world, and we're going to not hide this, but we're going to display it, we're going to show it, we're going to reveal it, we're going to manifest it. Hello, world. Hello, dark world. You are keeping Christmas and Easter and all these dark, demonic, Assyrian, Muslim, originally Muslim holidays, but we, that we are observing the true holy days of Scripture. Learn from us. That's what we're saying by putting that in the window. We're saying there is light in this house. Learn from us. Copy our example. Amen. And it doesn't need to be there all night long. We don't want to burn down your house or anything like that. Please, please be careful. And it's okay to, like, uh, have, have it in one place in the house at a certain time of the day and then move it to the window or have two or three different sets. And this does not have to be expensive, okay? I know what, it, I know what it's like to be poor. I know what it's like to suffer financially. So I understand financial situations. This does not have to be expensive. You can get the cheapest white candles that you can find. And it can even be battery operated or plug into the wall. It doesn't matter. Let's not be legalistic. Amen. It doesn't matter whether it's a real candle or battery operated or anything. But the point is light. Light is the point and southern lights specifically. So it doesn't really have to even be a menorah. We got to realize 2,000 years ago, they didn't have electric, and they didn't have batteries. So it's not whether it is a menorah, or if it's battery, if it's electric, or if it's a real fire. Those things are carnally thinking. Let's, let's get rid of the carnal thinking. Let's think spiritually. The purpose and the spiritual principle behind having seven lights or a menorah or seven candles, whatever, is to have an is to have seven lights because God is light, we are light, we are his children, and we are the churches, we are the congregations, and we want to represent that. We want to represent that. However you do it, we want to represent it, symbolize it. And another meaning behind this, we have to go to chapter 8, Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. Revelation 8, verse 1. When the Lamb, Jesus, the Lamb of God, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about 
a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before the Theos and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which is before the throne. Underline prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which is before the throne and underlying incense. Prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. Verse 4, And the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints went up before the Theos out of the angel's hand. So what this is, our prayers in heaven being burnt on the altar of God as incense and with incense and mixed with incense and smoke coming up to God from the altar. Our prayers are today's burnt offerings. Back in the Old Testament, on the seventh day and every holy day, people were commanded give burnt offerings to burn animal fat or animal meat on an altar. We don't do that today because today our prayers is our burnt offerings. When you pray to God, it ascends up to heaven and it is offered on the altar of God. Your prayers, whether you do it with your heart or mind or out loud, either one, is energy and is real. Even though you cannot see the words, even though you cannot smell the words in the flesh, even though you cannot smell or touch or see, the words that you pray, when you speak them or think them, it is real, and it is a real energy. It is a real presence of electrons, protons, and so forth that are emitting into the heavens and are actually, even though this is in a vision, is actually real as well. It's not just symbolic not just symbolic. There is a real altar. There is a real temple. There is a real God. And this really does happen. So, when we burn the lights for Hanukkah, not only are we representing we are the children of God, we are lights and we are spirits, and we are the church, but also we are representing our prayers, ascending up to God as a flame, as smoke, as incense to God, that we are offering a sacrifice of prayer to God. So remember that as you see the flame going up, it is better to have real candles 
But again, let's not be legalistic because let's face the fact that even if you have a battery or electrical light bulb lights, seven light bulbs, what is inside that light bulb that emits light? It is electrical energy, just like our prayers and just like the flame, really, even though the flame does not have a battery or anything like that. It is plasma, it is a protons and electrical energy nevertheless. And so it is your prayers. And to say it has to be one or the other would be legalistic. But it is better to have flames that you can see as we traditionally know as fire so that you can get the better picture, the better symbolism. It is a better symbolism. It is better, easier, easier for our carnal thinking. It is easier for our carnal eyes to comprehend and think about all the symbolism when you use a real candle or menorah. So again, that's only because our thinking is so small and limited. If we're really, really, truly spiritual as much as we need to be, uh, we could do fine with electrical light and be fine with it because we're not so carnal thinking and we recognize that there is an energy, there is a light, there is a burning, there is a fire in that light bulb and there is light. Let's go to chapter 21. We're almost done here. Let's go to chapter 21. Revelation 21, and let's go down to verse 21. Chapter 21, verse 21. And it is describing the new Jerusalem, a new city of Jerusalem that after the great white throne judgment, a new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven. It is a huge city that is being built in heaven. When Jesus said, I go to prepare you a place, and there are many mansions where I go, he is talking about that he is building a huge, giant town in heaven and the Bible describes 1,100 years after Jesus comes back that that giant town is going to come out of heaven and come out of the sky and land here on this earth. This is what the Bible teaches, is what the Bible says. Look at verse 2. Let's go up to verse 2. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from the Theos, prepared as a bride adored for her husband. So it's prepared for us, the church, we're the bride. And all these people, all these churches that say you're going to live in heaven forever, well, if you're going to be in heaven forever, you're going to miss your wedding present and you're going to miss your eternal reward because, and you're going to miss God because God is going to be here on this earth the Bible says he's going to come out of heaven too. He's going to come out of heaven. He's going to be on this earth, 
and New Jerusalem is going to be here on this earth. So if you're going to be in heaven forever, you're going to be there alone and without any reward and without your mansions because all this is coming down onto this earth. And so then back to verse 21, there's 12 gates of this city. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. You think of a little pearl that's inside of an oyster, I can say an oyster shale, a little pearl. But these are going to be giant, 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 giant pearls, 12 pearls. There are gates. Each one of the gates was a single pearl, and the street of the city is going to be pure gold, like transparent glass. Most people think of gold as being yellow, but that is only because the gold that they have seen is corrupted gold. It's not pure. Pure gold is transparent, clear, with no color. And I don't think I've ever seen any pure gold on this earth that might exist on this earth. I'm not sure, but in heaven it exists. And when new earth I mean, uh, New Jerusalem comes down, the, the, the streets of that city will be pure gold, so pure that it is transparent like glass, even though it's going to be gold because it's that pure. In verse 22, I saw no temple in it. So no temple in it. So all these people... All these churches that says there's going to be a temple built on earth and there's going to be a millennium temple and it's going to last forever and all that. It's all junk, junk doctrine. There's not no such thing as a millennial temple, nor is there such thing as a temple on the new earth, the new Jerusalem. When people think of the millennium temple of Ezekiel 40 through Ezekiel 48. That particular temple in those chapters of Ezekiel 40 through 48 where the people get the ideal of a millennium temple, the fact is, the fact is that those chapters are talking about the second temple that's already been built and destroyed. It's gone. It's been done. It's been fulfilled and it's gone. And the only reason why that the description of it did not fit perfectly with the second temple that was built is because the Jews admit they did not follow all the directions. And the Jews admit this to this day. All these, these Jews, so-called rabbis, they shouldn't call themselves rabbi. The Bible says, let no man call you or don't call no man rabbi. But... All these Jews, all these Jews preachers saying, I'm Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, I'm Rabbi this, I'm Rabbi that. And the Bible says, don't call anyone Rabbi. But nevertheless, all these so-called Rabbis, they admit, I don't know about all of them, but a bunch of them, admit that Ezekiel 40 through 48, the so-called Millennium Temple, is the temple of the second temple, but the Jews did not follow all the instructions letter by letter. That's 
one big possibility of what is equal 40 to 48 is. And then the other possibility is that as equal 40 to 48 was added to the Bible because the fact is it doesn't match Ezekiel's writings. When you compare the, uh, when you compare Ezekiel chapter one through 39 chapters, the first 39 chapters, then compare it to the last eight or nine chapters, they don't match his writing, his writing style, his choices of words, and so forth. So there is a chance that those chapters were added to the Bible. I cannot say that for sure, but that is a possibility. Either way, we have this verse right here that says they're not going to be a temple in God's fullness of his kingdom and the new earth. Verse 22, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord, the Theos, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Now, of course, God is not a building. So what it means is God is going to be our dwelling place, just like right now you dwell in the flesh. And that is your temple, the Bible says, for now. But when we get into the new heavens, new earth, of paradise, of eternity, this is after the great white throne judgment. This is 1,100 years after Jesus comes back. This is after all the wicked are destroyed and burned and perish in the lake of fire. We are going to dwell in the fullness of the true presence of God. And he will be our temple because we're going to fit inside him. We are going to dwell inside him. And he's going to be much more pronounced on this earth. Right now, because we are in the flesh and we can burn and we can die, he has to kind of hold back from the earth so that we won't die. But once we, once this mortal puts on the immortality, once this corruptible puts on the incorruptible, once we are turned completely completely into spirit, then, then we will be able to see God for what he really is. The Bible says that too. And we will be able to dwell into him and urge into him so much more than what we are capable of today. Nevertheless, we need to be already in that transitional period even right now and not dwelling in the flesh mentally, emotionally, spiritually. We have got to grow into God even now. And if we don't, we won't be ready to dwell in his presence then. The fact is, when he dwells on the earth in his fullness, that lake of fire will envelope the entire earth. And every mountain will melt, and every tree will be burnt over the entire surface of the entire earth. The Bible says that the mountains will melt. Every tree will be burnt up. 
That lake of fire is not under the ground. It is not. It is somewhere in outer space. It is in heaven somewhere. And once it comes to the earth, he comes to the earth as the lake of fire. He will envelope the entire earth with the fullness of his presence, a consuming fire that will consume everything that is flesh, wood, metal, gold, silver, everything that is physically be able to touch. And only, and only the spirit can survive. And even then, some spirits will not survive. Only the spirits that are pure, clean, and holy can dwell forever in the presence of the lake of fire. The truth is that even the saints will be cast into the lake of fire. Every person, every person, both wicked and righteous, will be in God's presence. Everybody will. Everybody, everybody, everybody. Every wicked person, every righteous person, every saint and every demon and the devil himself and every wicked person and every righteous person will be enveloped by the lake of fire and all wickedness and darkness will be consumed and even hell itself and death itself. Hell itself in the book of Revelation means the grave itself. The grave itself and death and darkness and mountains and flesh and wickedness and darkness and the devil and every wicked thing will perish. And the only soul, the only spirit that can survive the fullness of the presence of God is purity. Be ye perfect. Even as I am perfect or my father is perfect, whichever he said. Be ye holy and be ye perfect. Because no sin will enter in. No sin. And when people say, I'm not perfect, I'm not a saint, I can't be perfect, nobody's perfect, all of that is hogwash. It's true that we're not perfect now. But if we don't get perfect, we will not enter in. You say it's impossible. You say that's impossible, Pastor Tim. And I say that's only an excuse because you don't want to stop sinning. The Bible says that if you are born of God, it is impossible for you to sin. That's what the Bible says. Look it up. If you are born of God, it is impossible for you to sin. Be ye perfect, look it up. Be ye holy, look it up. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of perfection where you can say 99 times 99 equals whatever immediately. I'm not talking about perfect math or perfect eyes or beautiful eyes or perfect teeth. I'm talking about becoming, eventually becoming sinless becoming pure, becoming holy, becoming a saint of God. And that's a process. And even, even Paul said, I've not yet obtained that. Even Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, said, I've not yet obtained 
And yes, we all fall short of the glory of God. And yes, we have all sinned. But we must become pure if we're going to survive the lake of fire. Because all impurity will be consumed. Amen. How do you get there? By getting rid of the fleshly thinking, the narrow-mindedness, the rebellion, the sin, the stubbornness, the pride. It's not impossible to let go of all these things. It's not impossible to live for the Lord holy and clean at all times. It's not impossible. Jesus did this while he dwelt in the flesh. And according to the Bible, he was tempted in everything that we were tempted with, and yet never did sin. He was on this earth probably around 33 years. And he was tempted by beautiful women. He was a man. Even though he was God in the flesh, he had manly body parts and a man's brain. He was tempted by beautiful women. He was tempted by all kinds of sin. The Bible says he was tempted with every temptation that we are tempted with. Every temptation that we are tempted with. And yet still did not sin. It's not impossible. For us, it's a process. We're not there in one day or one year. But we got to get there. We've got to strive for it. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So that is so much more than just thinking. All you got to do is say one prayer. Not obey God, not keep any laws, not keep any commandments. For the carnal, the flesh is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be, because it is hostile toward God. So escape from this flesh in your thinking. Amen. Stop thinking of God as a six-foot man or three men or three persons, because he is spirit and he is light and he exists everywhere as one single spirit that fills the entire universe. And we must become a stronger, brighter, hotter light and spirit. Our spirits inside us must grow, and his spirit inside us must grow in unity with us. Prayer, fasting, reading the scripture, studying the scripture, keeping his commandments, not compromising with Christmas and Easter and false churches and false Christians, not compromising with them. Putting God first, putting spiritual things first, putting the kingdom first, not following the world, their customs, their traditions, their fashions and monkey see, monkey do. Not following the world, but coming out from among them. I mean, separate and being different and touch not the unclean. Then I will welcome you and you will be my sons and my daughters. That's what Jesus said, which means he's the father. If Jesus said, you are my sons and daughters, then he is the father. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. He is so awesome. He is so awesome. Praise his holy name. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you, Father, that you're not just millions of miles away, but that also you are right here with us, right here, right now and at all times, and at all places. Thank you, Father, for revealing more of yourself to us. Please help us, Father, to stop thinking so small, so limited, and so carnal. Please help us to escape our Western modern mind frame. Please help us to escape Babylonian doctrines and fairy tales. Please help us to think bigger and more spiritual. Please, Father, grow in us and give us a greater measure of your spirit. Help our spirits to grow brighter for you. Help us to shine your light and our light into the world and let your light be our light. And help us to dwell in you and you in us until we burst into this lake of fire and dwell in you and you and us. Help us to become at one with you, but yet always submissive to you. For you are the greater light. Help us, Father, to not get caught up in any new age websites, new age books, new age churches, and new age teachers. Help us not get caught up in the new age stuff and the witchcraft. Let those things not cause us to fall and slip. For it's one thing to say that we are your children, and yet another thing to say that we are gods. We are not gods, but spirits, your children. Help us, Father, to stay aligned, to get aligned. Be our chiropractor. Be our spiritual chiropractor, Father, and align our heart, our thoughts, our thinking, our beliefs, and our actions. Unity with you and your spirit. Realign us, Father, the way we look at things, the way we think at things. Realign us to your spirit, Father. Walk in us. Move our hands. Move our feet. Help us to become the body of Christ on this earth. Help us to heal the blind, to cast out the demons. Help us to witness to the sinners and to the poor. Help us, Father, to be the light to this world. And let us not shrink back in fear or timidness or shyness or embarrassment. Let us not shrink back in fear or shame or fear or any such thing. Let us not be hindered by carnal thinking and demonic thinking. But help us, Father, escape from carnal thinking. Trust in you, to believe in you, to dwell in your truth. Help us, Father, to be found, to be the true worshipers who will worship you voluntarily in spirit and in truth. Heavenly Father, yours is the glory. Glory is yours. And we humbly bow to you. And in your presence, Father, everybody, fall on your knees, please. <laughs>
everyone. Fall on your knees and serve the Lord. Give him glory and worship and praise. For he is worthy. He is worthy of all of our praise. All the glory be to the Father. We submit ourselves at your feet. For you, you Father, are the heavenly Father. You are the light. You are the glory. All the praise goes to you, Heavenly Father. We worship you and praise you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for what you have taught us today. Thank you, Father, for revealing yourself to us. Thank you, Father, for calling us out of darkness, for transforming us out of darkness to your glorious light. Praise your holy name. Praise your name, Heavenly Father. Praise your holy name. Thank you, Father, for what you have done. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Continue to transform us, Father. Change us. Change us, Father. Purify us. Cleanse us from all wrong. Cleanse us from all of our sins, from all of our wrong, from all of our impurities. Cleanse us. Purify us. Cleanse us, Father. Show us any wrong that we still hold in on to. Show us our faults. Show us our sins. Show us where we are wrong. Deliver us from pride. Deliver us from vanity. Deliver us from carnality. Deliver us from any impurity. Show us our faults. Show us our sins. Cleanse us and purify us so that we can really and truly dwell in you. Be your light to the world, Father. Be your body on this earth. And usher in your kingdom as your people, as your kingdom, as your ambassadors, that we may usher in your kingdom even here right now. Your kingdom is here. The resurrection is here. We don't have to wait for anything. For we dwell in heaven right now. We enter the heavenly realm. We can sit with you now, Father. We are your children. We can boldly come to the throne of God. We dwell in heaven now. We dwell in heaven now. We are the children of God. We are powerful. We cast out the demons. We rebuke the demons. And we make all ever curse, ever spell, and ever hex against us, void and null, in the name of Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb, by the power of the Spirit of the Father, in the name of Jesus Almighty the Alpha and the Omega. Strongholds are disappearing. The chains are being broken. People are being healed. People are being set free. People are being delivered. You are no longer the same. You are a new person in Christ. The old is gone. And the new has come. You are the child of God, a king, a queen of the Almighty Father sitting on the throne with him in heaven. We are his children. We are his bride. We are his people. We are his kingdom. We have power over scorpions and over serpents and over anything and everything. We can cast out any demon. We can heal any illness. But God dwells in us. We are his people. We are his kingdom. His light in us, his spirit in us. In the name of Jesus, we take power over this earth. We take dominion over this earth. In the name of Jesus, we take power against every darkness coming against us. We 
are victorious. We are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. We are kings. We are priests upon this earth. We claim this earth. We claim our families. We claim our households. We claim everything that is ours. We take it back from the devil. We have victory. And from this day forth, we're going to march as conquerors, warriors, and we're going to demand against the enemy. We'll take back what is ours. We will defeat the enemy. We will be powerful. From this day forward, we will not fear man. We are the servants of the Most High God. We are the lights to this world. We are spirits. And we are not in the flesh anymore. We're not going to dwell in the flesh anymore. Flesh is gone and the spirit has come. Praise your holy name, Father. We are yours. We surrender to you. Baptize us with your presence. Engulf us with your light, Lord. Engulf us with your light. Praise your holy name. In the name of Jesus. 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 So be it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, I hope that everybody enjoyed their trip to heaven and back today. And I hope you have felt the presence of the Lord. I hope that your ears and your eyes are open like never before. We are becoming the family of God. We are becoming the people that we were born to be. Amen. Don't believe the lies of the devil. Rebuke the devil. Rebuke the devil. Take power. Take the power and dominion that is yours. Ours is the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I would like to remind everybody that here in a couple of weeks, starting on January the 1st, we're going to start broadcasting in live video stream rather than just only audio here on TalkShoe.com. But what you're going to mostly see in the live video streaming is going to be my wife doing sign language. You might catch a glimpse of me every now and then, but it's mostly going to be my wife doing sign language. And the reason we're going to start doing this is because we do have a brother and sister in Ethiopia that is deaf, and so they can't hear the audio. We can send them the sermon notes like we've been doing, but I want them to have more than that. I want them to have every word of the sermon, and so we're going to start doing the sign language live video streaming. And for the people that, because of your, if your internet signal is weak and the videos just ain't going to work for you because of your lack of internet strength or because you have to worry about how much data that you use on the internet if you have limited internet data, what we're going to do for, for you is, even though we're going to be broadcasting live on video, we're going to also be recording everything in audio form as well. And then after the sermon, after the video is over every week, later on that day, 
I would take a audio recording and upload it to the website on TalkShoe and on SoundCloud and everywhere. And you can listen in just the audio if you want. But audio by itself would no longer be available live. Uh, you can hear us on the video. You'll still be able to hear me if you want to watch the live video. That's going to have the, the video and the audio both in the live video starting January 1st and on after that. But what I'm saying is if you want to listen to audio and only audio without video, you're going to have to wait till later in the day for me to upload that later in the day, every seventh day. And then you have the choice of audio, audio only or video with audio. But as far as live, it will be video with audio. And again, that would be mostly my wife, Brittany, doing the sign language. And uh, for you new people that might be listening for the first time, I will give you a warning that when I am here preaching, I get extremely, 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 I am burning up. I'm filling that lake of fire. I'm filling the presence of the Lord. I am in intense heat. And I am a man. And I have the liberty as a man in Christ, no condemnation against me, that if I'm that hot, I do take my shirt off, okay? So warning, if you don't want to see a naked man's chest, then don't watch. If you are that carnal and that sinful thinking and that fleshly thinking, then don't watch if that is going to offend you. Read the Bible. Jesus was born naked. Jesus got baptized naked. And Jesus got crucified naked. Jesus was born naked, died naked, and baptized naked. The flesh is nothing. Stop thinking that the flesh is a sin. The flesh is not sin. And I'm not naked here, just shirtless. That's all. You can watch boxing, they're shirtless, wrestling, they're shirtless, swimming, they're shirtless, and the lake, they're shirtless, and the ocean, they're shirtless. It's nothing. It's nothing, 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 nothing. But I warn you, if, if you're that carnal thinking, then don't watch. You're not going to see me. But if she has technical problems with the computer, then I might bend over the computer and you might see me. So just a fair warning for those that are that carnal thinking. And read the Bible where Isaiah was told by God to preach completely naked for three or three and a half years. Read the Bible. Isaiah preached completely naked in front of the entire church. Three years. Every holy day, every seventh day. But, again, the Western, modern mind frame is so limited and so narrow-minded that they think, that the human body is a sin. The human body is not a sin. It is the temple of God. The human body is the temple of God. It is not, the body is not a sin. It's only what you do with the body that is a sin. So people have to stop. People have got to come out of these 
Western modern mind frame and realize that the Bible and God is Middle Eastern and agent. God is agent. God is agent. He doesn't think modern. God is not Western. God is Middle Eastern, if anything. Of course, he dwells everywhere. But God has more of a Middle Eastern mindset, and the Bible is more of a Middle Eastern mindset and a very agent mindset. And if you want to grow in the spirit and you do want to grow into the full measure of what you was born to be and become everything you was meant to be, then you have to grow out of this modern Western mind frame and become more of a Middle Eastern agent mind frame. That's the only way that you're going to really reach the fullness of what you need to become to get into paradise. Amen. God is good. God is good. Hanukkah is January the 1st through January the 8th. Eight days. Burn your lights, burn your candles. Let the world see that you are worshiping God in the truth. We're not doing this out of pride, but we do want to display to the world that there is somebody in this earth keeping God's holy days, that God's kingdom is still alive, that God's kingdom and his people and his church is still present, is still alive. So put it in the window. Don't be fearful. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. And if God comes, I mean, if, if somebody comes and breaks into your house and kill everybody because you're got a Hanukkah menorah in the window, then so be it. It don't matter whether we live or die. Don't fear the flesh. Don't fear men. Only fear him that's able to destroy both soul and flesh body in Jehina, the lake of fire. Amen. Please visit the website if you never have. Please visit I Saw the Light. I Saw the Light Ministries.com. I'm going to play couple of songs or just one song. I'll play one song for you. Page number six. Page number six. And if anybody don't have the gospel music CDs that we play every seventh day and holy day here, if you don't have a, a gospel music CD, contact me if you want one. I'll send it to you for free. And this is page number six of the traditional worship music songs. This little light of mine. Hey, children, I like to hear you sing on this page number six. Page number six of the traditional worship music. I get this CD working first. Here it goes. I'm 
I'm going to turn the Internet off because I could go all day. I could go all day and all night. But I'm about to go and rest. Part of the day is rest as well. So I'm going to go do that. Let everybody go. You continue to worship and have a good meal. Have a good rest as well and fellowship. And I hope to hear from you. If you've never contacted me before, please go to the website. Contact me. Let me know you're listening. Let me know that you're growing in the truth because it will really encourage me and because we're supposed to be brothers and sisters. We're not supposed to be strangers. We're supposed to be brothers and sisters. We're supposed to be family. Stop being a stranger. Let me know that you're out there and let me know that you're growing in the truth because it really encouraged me. You know, I get so many emails that discourage me or try to discourage me. And so I could use the emails where people are actually being delivered. And I know that happens, and I do get those emails as well. Amen. And I'd like to hear your testimony. Amen. The Bible says we overcome the devil because of the word of our testimony. So it's important not only for me but for you to give your testimony. We need to grow together as flames. There's seven candles on that one menorah. I'm one of them. You're one of them. He's one of them. She's one of them. But we all need to come together on that same menorah. We've got to get in unity. Amen. We are a church. We're not just individuals. We are a church. We are a congregation. And we need to become one. Amen. Let's work together on the evangelism around the world. Let's reach deeper in Africa. Let's go into South America. Let's go into Russia and China. Let's do anything we can. Sneak in Bibles. Let's send missionaries. Let's do anything and everything that we can do. Let's break down the walls. Let's conquer these nations and pull down strongholds and bring deliverance and light into the dark areas for this gospel to be preached unto every nation as a witness to every nation. And then shall the end come. In Jesus' name, amen.